Today's show is sponsored by Spoonflower. If you're a creative person who loves to design, there's nothing quite like the feeling of seeing your art printed onto fabric, or better yet, seeing someone across the globe purchase it and make something amazing. Spoonflower is the first company to make it possible to digitally print custom fabric, wallpaper, and gift wrap with no minimums and no limitation of colors. Shop from thousands of indie designs or sell your own designs and earn up to 15% commission on every sale. The best part, as an independent seller, you always keep the rights to your work. Walshy Naps podcast listeners can get 15% off your next Spoonflower fabric order. Go to try.spoonflower.com slash Abby and enter your email address to receive your coupon code. Thank you so much, Spoonflower. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 117 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building an audience around your creative passions with my guest, Lauren Fairweather. Lauren is a YouTube content creator, Etsy seller, and independent musician who runs all of her creative businesses from home. This YouTube Next Up winner and mom of one has created videos for many companies, including HGTV, Sci-Fi, Simplicity, Intel, and Guitar Center. And she recently starred in a video course for YouTube's Creator Academy. When she can get out of the house, Lauren enjoys speaking on panels, selling her handmade work, and performing her original music at online video and nerd-themed conventions around the world. Lauren Fairweather, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you. I discovered your videos on YouTube some time ago, and they are the most sort of upbeat, positive, um, embracing your true self things I've seen online in a long time. Um, And I just so admire your approach and your attitude and what you bring to the creative community. So I'm super excited to hear more of the backstory of how this all works and how you got started and what your goals are. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Um, I know lately I feel like everything on YouTube is so about, you know, shock value and it can be sometimes I feel like I'm not getting seen as somebody who just wants to make people happy and inspire people. And so to hear that um, what I'm doing affects people makes me really happy. (laughs) Yeah. YouTube's definitely been in the news recently for some pretty horrendous you know, content creators who are doing things that are really questionable ethically. Um, And you're right, like it can sometimes feel kind of a downer to be part of a community that embraces that sort of thing, or at least allows it. Um, So but you're certainly not part of that. And, um, and, and you're bringing the positive, which is great. So, so let's start by um, talking a little bit about um, where you are now you live in Rhode Island. Is that right? Oh, yep. I, yeah, I'm, I'm right outside of Providence, and I love it here. <laughs> okay, great. And where did you grow up? Is that where you grew up? Uh, no, I actually grew up in New Jersey, and I moved here when I got engaged because my husband grew up here, and he loves it, and I didn't feel too attached to New Jersey, so I thought it was time to move on to someplace new. Okay, great. And were you, I know you're really musical, you write your own music, you play music, um, you're like a, a singer-songwriter, um, as well as a uh, creative artist and maker, DIYer. So were you musical and sort of artistic as a kid? Absolutely. Yeah. I Ever since I was little, I was performing and making stuff in every capacity that I could. And as I grew up, I never really grew out of it. I think a lot of people do. A lot of, a lot of kids are creative. And then, I don't know, somebody says something mean to them or they find something new that they love and they kind of forget about that. And I don't know, I never, never grew out of it. And it can be hard, I don't know, growing up as a creative when people are asking you, okay, well, what are you going to major in in college? And there is no, you know, crafting major at your college. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, everybody around you is like, well, what are you, what's your day job going to be? And my whole life, I was just like, but this is what I want to do. And I figured out a way to do it. And I like my whole family has come around. They're not worried about me anymore. And it, yeah, it's, 
it's just always been a part of my life ever since I could remember. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a mom of three girls and they are um, 14, 11, and seven. And we had a snow day yesterday. And so, you know, two of them, they made a play like up in their room with a book that they read out loud as a script. And then all the stuffed animals were in costumes and they had a spotlight from the desk lamp and they made like a whole play for us. And it's like, you feel so free to do that when you're that age, but then somehow that becomes unacceptable at a certain age. And like, you, if you're not going to be an amazing playwright or something like that, then how dare you make a play? At all? You know what I mean? I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing though. That's, yeah, that was totally me when I was younger and kind of still is me. <laughs> <laughs> it is, right. And I just think that's really, it's something really nice about being free to embrace those aspects of yourself as an adult. Um, Absolutely. And I think yeah. that technology nowadays has made it a lot easier. I think for a long time, people had to, you know, audition to be part of something or they needed a lot of money to invest to get all the equipment to make it happen. Now it's so easy for pretty much anybody with a cell phone camera to get an audience and find a way to share what they do with the world. With no middleman, you can just be who you want to be and not worry they're, that they're going to edit you and make you look more interesting than you are. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot more accessible nowadays. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's totally true. And, and you can potentially, and we'll talk about this, make a business out of it. Although that's not as easy sometimes as it seems, um, <laughs> but it is possible. So, okay. So, but you did go to college and what, what, what did you major in or, you know, what did you think you were going to be doing? Um, going into college, I wanted to do all my creative things. Um, but my parents kind of wanted me to have a backup plan. So I chose psychology because I felt like it was always a good idea to learn more about people and where people are coming from. And that if I ever wanted to go back to school, it was a good basis for pretty much anything else I decided to do in the future. Um, there's always a lot of pressure when, you know, you turn 18 and everyone's like, okay, now figure out what you're going to do for the whole rest of your life. Um, and so I, you know, if I had to pick something that wasn't creative, I thought that that was a good, interesting place to start. And, um, so that was what I did. And I finished my degree and I got out of there and I immediately, when I graduated, just jumped right in head first, didn't try to find a job out of school, just full-timed it, doing all of my creative things. Okay. So you didn't have a job right out of school. So when you say you full-timed it, doing all your creative things, was music the primary thing right at that moment? Yes, but it all kind of, it's hard to explain sometimes to people who ask me what I do, just because there are so many facets of it, because I can't just do music. I'm the one who's, you know, recording it myself and putting it online myself and figuring out how to promote it and doing the album artwork and making merchandise. And so that's where the crafty stuff kind of tied in was that there was going to be a table and I could sell things there and that would be how I make money at my concerts. And so I started actually making crafts to sell at my concerts um, to try and incorporate that part of my love for making things um, into my job. So it all kind of it all kind of combined and YouTube was the same thing. I just, it was a way for me to get my stuff out there and get people to get to know me. And, um, yeah, so it's, it was everything all at, all at once. The music was kind of how I think how people found me first. Okay. And what kind of music were you making at that time? Because I know you're a super fan of Harry Potter, um, and yes. <laughs> which is awesome. And we're talk a little bit about like, you know, um, allowing yourself to really be a super fan of things and how important that is um, just in life and also in business. Um, but you're, were, were the first songs or was the first band related to Harry Potter? Yes, actually, when I was in high school, I went to a concert by a band called Harry and the Potters. And there are these two brothers who just love the Harry Potter books and decided to write songs from the perspective of Harry Potter. And so I immediately just fell in love with this whole idea that, you know, you don't have to just write songs about love and your daily life. You can write songs about the books you love. And so I jumped in right away. And um, the first band that I was in, I started with my best friend at the time who came to the concert with me. And um, we started a band called The Moaning Myrtles. And it was all songs from Moaning Myrtles perspective. And then over the years, as just kind of we 
you know, went to different colleges and grew apart a bit. I started writing solo music about Harry Potter, but also other books that I love, John Green books, The Hunger Games. And um, it just found, it helped me to find a niche community that has still been, you know, the reason why I can do what I do. And I found so many friends through it. It's just, there's that another, it's, it's another thing that I think as you grow up, people tend to try and talk you out of is, is that if, you know, you have posters on your walls and you talk about the things you love so much and then you get older and there's this idea that you're going to grow out of it. And I never did. And, um, I know a lot of people who haven't either, and it kind of, it kind of created a community of, with a DIY ethos behind it that, told people that you can do what you want to do. You can make what you want to make and you can love the things you love, you know, so much. And nobody's going to say that you're weird or that you're a nerd and it's totally okay. And I think that's what has allowed me to find such an amazing community to be a part of Mm -hmm. um, because there are so many people out there who the people in their lives don't get it when they say, Oh, I really no, you don't get it. I really, really like Harry Potter. I don't just read the books and put them down and go on with my life. It's part of my life. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, writing music about books has been a, like a life changer for me. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. So writing music about books, which is, I mean, it is an unusual thing and I can see why the casual observer would be like, you do what now? <laughs> yeah. Um, I leave that out usually at the first, <laughs> the first explanation. <laughs> okay. So the first explanation is like, I write music and have a YouTube channel. And then the second yeah. one is like, oh, the music's actually about Harry Potter and about books that I love. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. I would love it if you could, um, play a little snippet of one of your songs for us. So, um, do you have a song? picked out? Yeah, actually, this is a song called Home. And I wrote it about being a Harry Potter fan about how, you know, when you love something and you just want it to be a big part of your life, it just affects you so much. And um, so this is kind of a song I wrote for, you know, anybody who just really loves something specific and wants it to be like, it just becomes a part of your heart. And so this is this is what that's about. That Hogwarts will always be there to welcome you home Just like magic it seems These books can make you feel like you're never alone You become a part of me And I take you wherever I go Harry, I'm coming home Harry, I'm coming home And time, it passes by But no matter how far I roam And, you know, I think people may not realize that there's a whole, a whole lot of people who are this way. So, um, who really, really love Harry Potter. And so there's like, um, conventions, right? So there's LeakyCon is one of them. And I know that there was one, um, in, was it in Syracuse? It was like a wizarding weekend that you went to and there's concerts and book signings and panels and all, you know, everything that you would have at a, at a conference. Um, but it's all Harry Potter. Yeah, it's it's really a place where people who love things so so much can go and be with other people who get it and understand. And you're, you when you come into an event like this, you're accepted for who you are, whether you're in cosplay or you're presenting a panel like an ac- academic caper about certain characters in the books. People who go to these events are so wonderful and positive and creative and it's such a fun environment to be around, man. It's my favorite place to be. <laughs> and do you know, I mean, J.K. Rowling must know that this stuff happens. Does she ever, is she, I mean, she must be supportive and how does she, how does she interact with this or, or feel about it? She's not unsupportive, which I am very happy about because she could honestly shut us down. Well, really, probably Warner Brothers could shut us down if they wanted to. Um, We are, you know, we're always really careful to not, you know, sell her direct work. It's all things that are inspired by the world and that, like, I'm really doing all of the creating here. Like, she didn't really put anything into any of the songs that I wrote. They just kind of... You know, I think, I mean, I think of a lot of the reason why Harry Potter is so successful and why so many people resonate with it is because they relate to the characters and their stories. So to write a song about an emotion that you experience while reading the books is not necessarily taking their copyright. Um, but, um, she, I mean, it's not like she comes to the events. Um, 
I she's I mean, she's done lots of things for the fandom in general. She's donated signed books to help raise money and things like that. Um, and um, yeah, I don't uh, she's not unsupportive right. of us, which is I mean, I think that's all we can really ask for. Yeah, don't shut no. us down. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And um, and I know she's really active on on Twitter and she does really yeah. interact with you know, sort of the public. And, you know, there's people who are authors who are really incredibly famous authors who are sort of more recluse and they don't, um, they don't really interact with the public, but she super does. And so obviously if she wanted to, she could, um, you know, put, put the kibosh on the whole thing, but she doesn't, which as you're saying is, is a, a sign of some sort of, um, sort of blessing in a way. Um, yeah. but, but, and I think there's so much of craft too, that is fan art. Um, and there's always that sort of question of, you know, is this okay? Can I make this character from this movie, from this book and that kind of thing? And where does, where does the line? And, um, and, and that's a whole like legal conversation. I actually, I will say, I don't know a ton about, but I do know yeah. it comes up a lot in the crafting community. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me personally, anything that I feel it comes too close to the line, I give away for free. Um, you know, it's a YouTube video that I showed you how to make a thing and I give away the pattern for free and then that's it. So I'm not making, you know, anything but ad revenue from the views. And it's um, so there, you know, I it's everybody has a different thing that they feel comfortable with. And mm -hmm. sometimes people push it a little too far. They're like, all right, I, if I get in trouble for this, I'll just stop doing it. And then other people kind of pull back depending on what your comfort level is. Um, and it depends on the individual copyright holders too. Some are really strict and others aren't. And so you just kind of have to feel for what feels right. Right. I and I assume too, when you enter into that community, people do know which um, brands or, or um, authors are super restrictive and which ones aren't. And so sort of the norms get established and you can kind of follow the way that other people are approaching this. And that's helpful. Um, but sometimes it changes too, because the Harry Potter copyright situation got really lax when the last movie came out because there wasn't anything for a long time. Now that Fantastic Beasts is out and they have another actively being released movie series coming out, I feel like they're tightening up a bit now. So mm -hmm. you kind of have to pay attention. And I mean, anybody who's really active in a fandom, I think is aware of a lot of these kinds of things. So you just, you know, have to get a feel for it. Right. Okay. So, um, so you were uh, touring and playing music and making things to put on the table to sell some merchandise, handmade merchandise. Um, so how did you first get into YouTube? Because I know it's actually been a while. I watched recently, you did um, a, a video about being on YouTube for, I think it was 12 years and yep. all the different things that you have learned. And I'll link to that because it was really, really helpful and useful for anybody who is interested in making video now to sort of get your um, wisdom from all of that time. So how did you first begin on YouTube? So when I first started on YouTube, it was the first opportunity that I had seen to be able to host video on the internet for free. Before that, it was if I made a video myself, it was so hard to even email, like I couldn't even email it to a friend that I wanted to see it because it was such a big file. And so when YouTube popped up, I, I had already kind of been making home videos and creative little montages for my fandom and for my, you know, documenting my life. And it just seemed like a, like a good fit. Like, oh, hey, I can, I can share my videos with my friends if I have them on a website. Um, that was before you could be famous for being on YouTube. It was before really, I think anybody tried to use it to even make money. It was just, Hey, this is for free and I can share my stuff with people. Um, so when I started doing the band, it seemed like a natural fit to, Hey, let's film our concerts and put them up on my channel, especially because I knew most of our fans were online. They weren't local. And so I didn't know if anyone even would even come to the shows, but I knew there were, you know, those hundred people online spread out all over the world. And I figured if I have a video, they can see what my concerts are like. Um, and it just grew from there. And, um, after a couple of years, people started video blogging and started, making little shows on their channels. And so that seems again, like a natural fit. I would, you know, talk to the camera when I was on tour and do a little tour diary video or film my family vacation. And it was just kind of a way to express myself through video. And it just got bigger and bigger. And, you know, friends of mine who started after I did just skyrocketed to fame and superstardom. And I'm just, you know, still just making my quiet, happy, creative videos. Um, 
And that never really changed because I've never, I've never been the type to, you know, evoke controversy and get attention for things like that. Um, so I just, you know, stayed doing what I was doing and watched the platform explode around me. <laughs> I want to take a minute now to hear from our sponsor, Spoonflower. And I'm talking with Allison Polish, the president of Spoonflower. Allison Sloan Polish, and I am the president of Spoonflower. We are really proud that Spoonflower this year is celebrating its 10th anniversary. And over the years, it's naturally increased in its complexity. But at its simplest level, Spoonflower is an e-commerce platform that allows individuals to design and sell custom fabric and wallpaper, no minimums required. And I know Spoonflower has grown a lot over this past decade. So do you want to talk a little bit about sort of its origins and how it's developed over time? Spoonflower was founded in 2008 by my business partners, Stephen Frazier and Gart Davis. And it was really created to solve a, a problem that many of us have. We have an idea in our heads of exactly the kind of fabric that we need to complete a project. In this case, Kim, Stephen's wife, was trying to make curtains and she had the exact yellow polka dot size in mind and she could not find what she needed. Stephen, already being really familiar with print-on-demand companies, was certain that a solution existed out there online. And when he went searching for this company and it didn't yet exist, kind of the brainchild behind Spoonflower was born. One of the things that was always in mind when we started Spoonflower was to create a marketplace for our customers to be able to purchase designs from designers all around the world. And we actually launched that two years into the business. And today, the marketplace is comprised of over 650,000 designs with designers from over 100 countries. It's so fun for us to be able to see what people are creating. And all of this fabric is digitally printed and you have lots and lots of different substrates that are available for people. Today we have about 25 different fabrics and three different papers that we produce and we do everything in-house. We do not outsource any of our production. It's something that we're really proud of and it keeps us connected. You know, our community is a community of makers and we as a group, and a company also are makers. Listeners should visit try.spoonflower.com forward slash Abby. And on that website, you can enter your email to get a unique promo code for 15% off your first order. Thank you so much, Spoonflower. And now back to my conversation with Lauren. You're humble, but actually you have like a ton of subscribers. Like, do you know what the current subscriber count is? I didn't actually check before. Um, I have about 84,000 at the okay. moment, um, yeah. which does sound like a lot. But when you divide it by 12, um, I know people who, you know, started last year and they're bigger. Um, <laughs> sure. So it does feel like I've, <laughs> it, 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 um, initially that number was enormous, like back when the site first started. But, um, you know, when I had 8,000 subscribers, it seemed like a lot because the site was so much smaller. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's also, it's hard on the internet because a lot of people try to get these views and try to get these subscriber numbers and they obsess over them. But at the end of the day, they're not all spending money. They're not all, you know, it, it can it look like I'm successful from afar, but I'm still like panicking when the bills come in at the end of the month, trying to pull together enough money. And um, it it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to translate to a business, even if you have a high number account. Yeah, it's just a, the potential for that. That's really. so, so important for people to understand is, you know, follower count doesn't equal dollars. And, um, and, you know, there are also ways to manipulate the system, um, in all of these, um, platforms and get that follower account inflated, falsely inflated. So it can appear as though you have a huge number and those inflated, falsely inflated numbers are definitely not going to lead to dollars. So, um, it's, you know, it's a game a little bit and, um, and right, it, it doesn't always mean that you're successful um, when you have yeah. those numbers. Yeah. 
though there are some situations where that can really help you. If I look like I'm a bigger deal than I think I am, it's more likely that I'm going to get, say, a sponsorship from a big company. They are looking for those numbers, even if they don't really necessarily mean something specific. Um, so if they, you know, they might not even give me the time of day if my number is too small for them. Um, but if I have a number that's high enough for them, then they may pay me more money to do something, um, to write, make a sponsored video. And that's, I think, where you, you know, it is important to have a big number. Except that those sponsors should really be looking at engagement, right? Like at um, right, exactly. how long somebody views the video, you know, and like yeah. how many watch, because YouTube gives you, is it watch time? Um, is yeah, that a- is by far the most important to their algorithm if your videos are being watched for a long time. And that's why actually long videos are rewarded more in the algorithm, because if somebody watches a, you know, if you get a thousand people watching a two minute video, that's only 2000 minutes of Mm -hmm. watch time. But if you have a 10 minute video, Mm. that's, you know, that's a lot more time that somebody could be watching your videos. (laughs) Okay. So that's a great tip there, which is to say like short videos, you know, I personally prefer them because I'm like, Hey, I, I I have a busy life. I don't want to watch this, like, you know, 34 minute DIY tutorial on how to crochet a scarf when here's another one with the same basic, um, project, but it's only two minutes, you know what I mean? So I'll like choose the two minute one, but sometimes, I mean, if it's maybe not 30 something minutes, but if it's, you know, 10 minutes or, or eight minutes or something like that, you're seeing that the YouTube algorithm, algorithm will reward that video because especially if it's really compelling all the way to the end, because that's more watch time. Yeah. You also have to be careful because if you're just rambling on for 30 minutes and people leave more like earlier than halfway through, that's going to be rated lower. So you need a happy medium. And I mean, I've seen videos that I didn't even realize I'd been watching for 10 minutes. They were so compelling. And then I've seen others that are like, you know, four minutes and I'm bored by minute three because Mm -hmm. they're just putting off the important information. Um, So it just, it, you know, you kind of have to find a balance in all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you can get super caught up in all of the gamification of everything and forget why you're there in the first place. So better to focus on what it is that you really love doing and doing that well and sort of letting it, letting it all, all the rest of the pieces fall into place. Um, Okay. So you were saying that, you know, you started by putting concerts on YouTube and then um, you sort of transitioned and because you saw people doing little vlogs and doing like almost like mini show. And the way that I think of your videos now, you know, they're probably five or six minutes, something like that. And there are a lot of them are like a DIY tutorial or like an unboxing, like you've purchased some things and you want to show them to everybody, that kind of thing. Um, so when did you start doing that style of video? I did that about, um, three or four years in. Um, and I started the crafting stuff when I was in college and I, you know, was, I needed to find a way to get my excitement for crafting and making stuff out there because I was, you know, not studying that even though I wanted to. And, um, that was, yeah, it's, I do a lot of different kinds of videos and a lot of people don't, a lot of people feel like they need to pick one topic and make every video just like that. And that's okay too. There really are no rules with any of this, but I found that having a variety of types of videos actually helps me. It may be the reason why I am still making videos 12 years later, because I don't get bored with one specific format. And Honestly, my audience is growing and changing as much as I am. So I feel like if I get a new idea for a kind of video that I've never done before, I try it and I see how it flies. And, um, you know, the unboxings are very recent. I felt for a long time like it was kind of a cop out to make a video just saying, hey, I bought this stuff. Um, Or, hey, look what's in this subscription box I got because I felt like I needed to, you know, have some kind of compelling thing to say in every video or some kind of important information that someone can learn. And honestly, the unboxing videos, people tend to like them even more than my regular videos. I've been getting better views. So it really just goes to show you that there are there are no rules. It can be whatever you want it to be when you make a YouTube channel and trying lots of new things may be a good way for you to figure out what actually works for you and what performs the best. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure now to, whether it's with YouTube or with a blog or even on Instagram, for example, to um, choose a very specific niche and stay within it. 
that, you know, sort of the conventional wisdom today seems to be like, okay, if you want to build a following, all the photos on your Instagram feed need to have the same filter, the same color scheme, the same overall lay layout so that when we look at your, you know, your feed, they're all going to match and go together and express a specific aesthetic, you know, or if you're going to blog, become the expert on this one very specific type of thing. And then you'll get all the SEO juice and, um, and, you know, drive the most traffic there. And maybe the same convention, um, conventional wisdom applies to YouTube. But I, I very much fall into what you're saying, which is that, you should follow your own curiosity and explore what you are most interested in at that time. Um, and that will keep you as a creator, as a maker, excited and interested in what you're doing. Because I find the very specific niche to be so confining and I don't want that to, I just know I'll quit if I do that. Right, right. Same. It's, I mean, there are definitely ways to make somebody know that they all belong with your channel or they all belong in your Etsy shop that, but you don't have to, you know, make every single post look, look exactly the same. Sometimes it's better to have more content that is all interesting and varying and you'll find more people and broaden your niche a bit if you, you know, try new things. And I mean, for me, at least I think that like every single one of my videos, my face is in it and I'm being positive and excited or passionate in some way. And really, if you are happy about what you're making and excited about every single thing you're making, that's going to show through more than if you're just still doing that same thing just for the sake of having your feed be perfect. Yeah. And I also feel like there's a sense that, you know, that's what leadership is about is sort of showing the way, you know, taking a stand and saying like, this is what I love. This is what I'm doing now. This is what I'm passionate about. Um, and I do think that people who are into you will follow that. Um, even right. if it doesn't a hundred percent apply to their lives, they're not going to buy those things from Etsy that you're showing in the unboxing video, or they're not going to make that time turner DIY right now. They, if you, it, it's still interesting and fun to watch and be part of, um, because you're interested in it. Yeah. And if they like my personality and if seeing me make things and seeing me be excited about things makes them happy, that's the most important thing. And that's, that's what I hear from a lot of people. Like who would have known that the people who are following my weird Harry Potter band would also want to watch me make a plushie on my YouTube channel. I may not have guessed that, but the other thing that you have to remember too, is that your audience is not going to be the same group of people the entire time that you're doing something. People are going to grow and change and they're going to, you know, have kids and then they won't have time to watch your videos anymore. But then the kids will go to school years later and they'll rediscover you. And it, you have to remember that they're not just leaving because they hate you and they're, you're not interesting anymore. It's, you know, people have different circumstances and they don't always keep up with everything they love for their whole lives. Mm -hmm. And so by continuing to change and grow and do what you love, you may find new people and, it's yeah. So I've got, you know, I've got people who've been following me for 12 years, but then I, I get people who discover me, you know, last week and they say, I can't believe I just found you now. You're everything that I want in a YouTube channel. I'm going to go rewatch everything. Mm -hmm. So at the very end of everything, you just need to make sure that you're, you know, doing the best you can and making what makes you the most excited because people will see that and they'll feel that. Yes, absolutely. I think that's great advice. Okay. So you won the, um, or were a winner of the YouTube next up contest. And I wondered if you could explain a little bit about what that contest is and then what it did for you when you were involved in it. Absolutely. Yeah. So YouTube does this thing called next step and they've been doing it for a long time. It's kind of grown and changed over the years, but it's the, their idea that they find, channels that need a little bit of help, but that are doing really well on their own. And so they pick, um, it, it, usually they do it every year. They, they kind of change when they do it. So you have to keep an eye on when it's opening up next. They do it in all kinds of different countries all over the world. And they, they pick kind of a class of next step winners. And uh, for my year, what they did was they sent us to New York City for a week and we got to spend that week in the 
YouTube space in New York and they brought in people to teach us workshops and we got to do all kinds of fun activities. And then at the end of the week, we all collaborated on a bunch of videos in their studio with their professional equipment. And then at the end, we got to take home gift cards to go get new equipment ourselves, which is great because I, you know, have been using the same camera for six years and technology changes a lot. So, you know, you could tell watching my videos that I was a little behind. Um, so it was such an amazing thing to be chosen for this. First of all, because I applied for for three times, I believe, before I got chosen. I kept, you know, getting turned down and thinking, oh no, I'm too, I'm too old. I've been doing this for too long. They're not interested in me. They want to find all these new channels who have only been around for a year. And um, but they eventually picked me and I was the by far the longest running channel out of everybody in my <laughs> class. Um which is kind of, you know, it's fun because I know things about the channel about, about I know I know things about the site that they did they didn't, but they also were viewing it from a totally different angle, and I learned from all of them because I'd been doing it the same way for twelve years, and I think it was the perfect timing for me to go and spend a week with people who do just what I do. But really, when you're creating content for the internet, you're kind of alone the whole time. You're just doing what you think is best, and you put it up online and. A lot of people don't reach out to others who are doing the same thing, and it can help so much to find people who are doing what you're doing and, you know, figuring things out on their own. And so we all had a totally different picture of what the best thing to do was, and we shared those with each other all week. It was amazing. It was just, like, one of the best weeks of my life, and um, I thought it was so great. that they, I was so happy that they picked me. I felt a little bit validated by the site because YouTube had never spoken to me before. I, you know, I'd been on the site for 11 years at that point and I'd never so much as heard from them or been featured anywhere. And so it was very cool to, you know, have them kind of nod to me and say, Hey, you were, you're doing a good job. Yeah. We're going to help you out a little bit. And since then I've, I've been in contact with them a lot. I think they, you know, they reach out to their next step winners because they kind of see us as the future of the site. And it felt really good to be chosen for that. So if you have, if you fit the requirements and you have a YouTube channel, I highly recommend that you just keep applying for it. Cause if you can get in and you can do it, it like, I don't know it. I mean, I got new equipment, which was really nice, but also I just had this, you know, this kind of renewed sense of what I was doing. Cause I can, I feel like sometimes you can get kind of down on yourself if you're feeling like you're not performing as highly as you should be. And it just reminded me that I should be doing this and that someone sees something good in me. And it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when you're self-employed and as you said, making things for the internet, you're putting things out into the void and, you know, you can get comments, you can get likes and all of those things, but it is quite lonely and it is also easy to get feel defeated um, and to have a, a large company, the company choose you is really validating. And we had um, Vanessa Vargas Wilson, she also was a YouTube Next Up winner and she was on the show some time back. Um, she has a quilting channel and she spoke about the event in a very similar way. Um, and so I just really applaud YouTube for deciding to, you know, fly everybody to New York and provide this wonderful week and really invest in helping people who have talent to grow and to stay on the on the platform and to, you know, become have renewed interest in it because not every platform does that sort of thing and I just think that that's a it's smart and it's really positive. It's a good thing to do. Um, so anyway, yay YouTube for for that. And and so now recently you've been in a um a course that they are making, the the Creator Academy course, um, which it sounds like maybe, uh, you know, they turn to you because of, of getting to know you through the next step. Yeah, it's totally possible that that was that was linked somehow. And they I was so excited when they invited me because I had actually watched a bunch of Creator Academy courses. They have basically anything you'd want to know about starting a YouTube channel. They have video courses for it. And so I had seen that there were lots of other creators starring in them and they were all really, really big creators. So I think when they picked me, I was so excited and they flew me out to L.A. and I got to actually film with a with a real crew and a director. And that is the first time I was just, you know, the talent I wasn't doing every single piece of it all by myself in my bedroom. It was very cool to get to see what that experience is like. And I really like the way that the course turned out. It's a course on brand deals, kind of what I mentioned before about sponsorships and working with companies and making YouTube videos for those companies. 
Um, and I, I love that topic because I think, I think sometimes it gets a bad rap. I think people think, oh, they're selling out. Oh, you're just making this video because so-and-so is paying you to do it. And I, I kind of see it as a challenge when a brand reaches out to me and wants to make a video because it's not a commercial. If they wanted a commercial, they would make a commercial, but they reach out to YouTubers and other influencers on other platforms because they see that we have this, you know, there's something genuine about what we're doing. We're not a TV show. We're, you know, this is our lives and this is our opinions on things. And we're, we get to completely decide what it looks like we're editing ourselves. And so I think that's super valuable to brands. And so that whole course is just me and my friend Will talking about our approach to making branded content for awesome companies. So I know this is something that a lot of people would really like to do, whether it's on YouTube or, you know, on their blogs or on their Instagram accounts is, um, is getting to doing sponsorships. And, you know, my listeners and myself are really in the crafting and sewing niche. Um, so it's just, you know, more specifically there, but I wondered, and I know you've worked with quite a few brands in that niche too, but, um, so how do you have any tips or maybe some, um, some overarching ideas that you did present in the course that that you can share with us around how to approach brands or how to get started and um, doing some sponsored posts, because it is something that a lot of people dream of doing and, and sort of aren't sure, well, do I have a big enough audience? And um, how do I find the right person to contact? And, um, you know, and, and then how do I know that what I'm making is really what they want? And uh, I mean, there's so many factors and even the follow-up afterward, you know, how to make sure that it happens again and you can continue to work with that same client again, you know? Yeah, it's it's hard in the beginning, I think, because before you have any sponsored content on your channel, they can only imagine what you could create for them. And they may not even necessarily find you in the first place if you don't have any to start with. Um, so it's kind of a chicken, what came first, the chicken or the egg situation. And so a lot of times um, in the beginning, people will make videos about brands or featuring brands without getting paid for them. And then they, you know, you could tag them on Instagram and they'll see, hey, she made something using my materials or she used my tools in the sewing tutorial and then they may want to reach out. Um, with that, you do kind of risk that they're going to expect you'll do it for free forever. But if other brands then start seeing that you're using these other tools and making awesome content for other brands, they're going to want in on it. And that's kind of what I started to see is that if I like whenever I did a really big sponsored video with a cool, well-known company, more would reach out really quickly. And then I before I knew it, I had too much on my plate and I had to turn people down. And so it, it really does help to like just get something on your channel that you can show to brands as this is an example of something that I could do for you, too. And um, one thing that I did that recently that ended up turning out really well is um there's um the uh, they're not called this anymore, but the Craft and Hobby Association does these these big events where all these crafting companies come and set up booths, and it's um it's called Creativation, and they're mostly you may know about this already just from being in the crafting community, but um I went to the event last year and just went. It's really meant for people who have craft stores to go and see what's about to come out for the year so that they can make wholesale orders. But I just kind of walked up to all the different booths and said, Hey, I have a YouTube channel and I like making stuff. And I am always looking for cool new products to use in my videos, not to promote them, but to actually use them and show people how they can make stuff with them. And I got so many business cards and I went home at the end of the weekend and just wrote emails to all these brands and that I met in person. So they have a face to put with my name. And then I sent them examples of what I'd done in the past. And a bunch of them ended up doing sponsored videos with me. So if you have a situation where you could actually go talk to the brands, that really is helpful because I'm sure they get tons of emails and they probably are just, you know, again, just looking at your numbers and saying, oh, well, she's not that big. So I don't know if we want to work with her, or if we want to pay her a lot. Um, so, yeah, that's a good way to start. Um, I think probably the easiest, honestly, is, you know, tagging them and because now pretty much every brand has a social media account. They're all on Instagram and they see it when people use their stuff. And so just kind of, you know, getting your name out there can help a lot in that sort of way. And it, yeah, I, I don't know. And the other thing too, is that there are so many ways to incorporate brands in videos because there are, you know, as far as crafting and sewing goes, there are things that you can, you can design a project that uses a, a specific tool and then tell people where you got it. But you can also do, like I do, the topical video blogs where I talk about tips for, you know, 
if, if a camera company wanted to target video bloggers and try to get video bloggers to buy their new camera, they could, I could talk about, you know, tips for video blogging and then new vloggers would find that video and see that I'm promoting this camera. So there are, you know, you could talk about something, you could make something. Um, and I think trying to make sponsored content that fits with what you're already doing is the best possible situation because your audience already expects that from you and you don't want them to leave if you start doing weird stuff that doesn't seem like you. Um, but yeah, it's hard. And like I said, I've been doing it for 12 years. Um, my first sponsored video was back in like 2009, 2008, wow. maybe. Wow. Um, and back then I didn't even know what that meant. Um, my first one was guitar center and that was so big and I was just so excited um, to get to do it. And it, yeah, but they, they reached out to me. Sometimes they do. Um, I get a lot of brands that reach out that are not super legitimate or related to my content. So you have to remember not to, you know, take everything that comes your way. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that over time you have to kind of build this relationship with brands and this reputation for providing stuff on time and that's quality and, yeah, I don't know. And you and know, I, every brand's different too. They'll all right. approach it in a different way. I think though, I think too, sometimes people miss the um the follow-up piece. So, you know, I think it's possible to do a great video, have a great experience with this sponsor piece, and then later, maybe a month out or a month and a half out, something like that, follow up with um like a one pager, you know, that has some statistics about views, watch time, or if it's on a blog, you know, comments, likes, um, on Pinterest, Instagram, sharing, you know, kind of a, a nice one pager with some statistics that, for example, a marketing manager could take into a meeting and say, okay, we did this campaign, we paid this amount, we got this video delivered on time that was really quality. And, you know, here are the um, tangible results, you know, and it makes it easier for them to present that. And, you know, within that um, follow-up email, where you, where you deliver that, you can also say, you know, I'd love to work with you in the future and present a few other ideas for another campaign just to keep things going. And they might not say yes right away. Maybe they don't have budget for it that quarter or they've already got something else booked or whatever. But, you know, having you be the proactive person who's taking charge um, is, I think, a good, a good step. I love that idea. That's super awesome. I, I, a lot of times I feel like I hesitate to want to work with brands more than once just because I don't want my channel to become a giant advertisement for one specific brand. Um, but if you feel that way as well, there are also other things you can do. Like I've made a video for a brand on my channel and then they actually ended up going coming to me to make a video for their own channel. And I get paid more for that because I'm not getting the ad revenue and things like that. Um, so there are ways to continue working with brands, even if you don't want to overwhelm your audience with so many plugs for a specific company. Mm -hmm. Coming up with ideas to help them and statistics to deliver to them, just making it easier, making their jobs easier, I think is always a good way. So sort of getting into their shoes um, is yeah. good. Yeah, that's helpful. And you also now have a Patreon page. And I know that that's something that a lot of people are really interested in doing too. Um, I know a lot of podcasters do Patreon, um, which is sort of a way of doing ongoing crowdfunding, I guess is one way to describe Patreon for people who might not be familiar with it. But it's a way for your subscribers to um, support you financially in an ongoing way. So what was the idea around for you that made you decide, okay, I'm going to open up a Patreon um, campaign and, and how has it been going so far? Yeah, I, I love the idea of Patreon. Just Kickstarter is huge, but it's only one time and that money is not going to last. Um, I think when I first started Patreon, what I what was going through my head was that I, I had all these different ways of making money, the music and the Etsy shop and the YouTube channel. And the YouTube channel was not making very much money at the time. You know, the ad revenue that you get from the partner program is very small unless you have millions and millions of views consistently. And so I saw that my YouTube videos were successful in a non-monetary way and also that I enjoyed making them. And I, like the more I worked on all these different facets of my business, the more I felt like YouTube was calling me, like, this is what I want to be doing. This is the best way for me to share all of my projects in one place. And I need to find a way to make more money doing YouTube so that I can actually 
spend my time working on it. It's, it takes so much. I I mean, it takes me hours and hours to edit a video and there's filming and now I have to find a babysitter in order to film a video or else I have a child climbing on me in the middle. It's just so much work that I felt like I couldn't put the time into it unless I had more funding. And so the idea with Patreon is that my audience that can't afford to pay me it can voluntarily give me a little bit of money every time I make a video. So that then makes it so I can make videos more often. And I get paid more depending on how many videos I make. Patreon has two ways of running. Either you can pay per month or per project. And so I decided to get paid per video because I knew if I was just getting paid the same amount of money every month, it wouldn't motivate me to make more content. Um, So this kind of completely turned tables. It allowed me to decide, okay, I'm – now going to work on what I want to work on, not on what makes me the most money. And it allowed me to decide that this is where I want my attention to go. And I still, you know, I'll still every once in a while make a couple of things to put into my Etsy shop and I'll still play shows and write new music every once in a while. But I just have really come to love the process of making videos and the process of interacting with my audience on YouTube specifically. And Patreon has allowed me to make sure that I'm going to make money off of that time that is spent. And I think it's been really great. Um, I don't make a ton on Patreon. I know a lot of people who, you know, are paying their, their, like their entire rent with Patreon money, but it's given me a lot more that I can work with and a lot more ability to dedicate time to the YouTube thing, um, which is amazing. And yeah, and it's, it's also cool because that money is coming from my audience and not from a company. And so, it's, you know, I don't always feel pressure to take every sponsored video that comes my way. If I feel like maybe, you know, I've never heard of this company before and I don't know how it fits with my content, I can say no, because I'm going to, you know, make more money from just the people who want to see my content and who want to pay me for it. Mm-hmm. It's also cool because you, you know, your content is still free if you want it to be. And the people who can't afford to pay for it can see it and access it and not have to pay if they don't want to. Um, and I like that about it. It's, it's hard to ask for money. I feel like, especially if it's just, if it's not, not like you're handing them a product at the end, it's like they have the ability to what you keep doing, what you're doing. And if they love what you're doing, they can support you. And I think that's so cool. It puts the power and the control in the hands of the people who deserve it the most. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. That's really interesting. And I think it's super helpful for people who are on the fence or thinking, should I do this or not? Um, uh, so it, as far as like making a living just overall, and I know you have a, a, a child, a son, correct? Yep. And how old is he now? He's two. He's two. Okay. Um, so, uh, so that changes things a little bit because your, your lifestyle, uh, shifts pretty dramatically when you become a parent, um, just for anybody, but, um, do you feel like, like, is this a full-time income? I mean, I think that's something that people don't talk so much about, you know, when it comes to money, but, um, if you're, if you're willing to share, like, do you, I mean, and also what is a full-time income? It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, depending on where you live and depending on how you live, um, et cetera. But, um, but do you feel like this is, this is your full-time job? Does it, does it lead to what you feel like is a full-time income for you? It, does sometimes. Um, it's very inconsistent because I get paid, you know, every time somebody decides that they want to buy something from me, I get paid if I get invited to play a bunch of shows, if I happened to take on a bunch of sponsored videos that year, and if my kid is napping. Um, I laughed when I heard the name of your blog and your <laughs> podcast because for a long time, it was completely dependent on that. If he didn't nap, if he didn't sleep through the night, I didn't work. And so that, you know, the, the first year I didn't make very much. Um, I had some passive income that was coming in from a few different places, but at the end of the year doing taxes, it was not anywhere close to the year before I had the baby. And, um, so, and then last year, this past year, I, did really, really well again. And, you know, it's pretty much because he was sleeping through the night and napping and I got plenty of time to do the things that I love. But it's also, it's a lot of luck. It's a lot of relying on other people to come to me and offering me money for different jobs. And um, so it, it's completely up in the air. It's, it's, I can't predict it one year to the next. Um, and you know, it's totally possible that he'll have a tough year coming up and he'll need more attention and, you know, start, figuring out how to stay up late and 
keep getting me to come in when I need to be working. And <laughs> it's, um, but that's because I'm uh, also a full-time mom and I don't really, I mean, I probably make just about enough to afford childcare if I wanted to put him in daycare. But then the question is, do I want to break even and do I want to let somebody else spend that amazing quality time with such a little, little kid. He's not going to be this little for that long. And so I kind of made the decision that work will come second. And, um, if I can get stuff done, I will. Um, and yeah, I, it depends. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And I, I think you've summarized it so well. And, you know, I always say life is, um, in seasons and, you know, yeah. I'm also a stay at home mom, um, just like you. And I have three kids and they're older now. Um, so they go to school during the day, but there was a time, which is, you know, I started this blog, uh, 13, 12, 13 years ago, um, just like you. And it, that's why it's called while she naps because it was, everything was made while, while the baby napped. Um, and I only had one child at that time and she was like 11 months old, um, when I started. So I totally, um, relate to that. And I, and I, you know, I have a lot of difficulty right now, for example, traveling to go to conferences, um, and to speak. And I love to do that and I wish I could do it more, but I often can't because I can only do a certain amount of travel in a year. Um, in order to uh, be home. I, I just need to be home with my children. So that's just, you know, life is in seasons and there will be a time when that will reemerge and I'll be able to do that again. So um, being able to accept that and be happy with the circumstances you have now, it can be tough at times, um, but it's, you know, that's definitely, you got to make peace with it. So um, well, thank you for sharing about um, finance, financial situations, because that's always a, a tricky thing. But I think people do want to hear it and know more about it. And you have um, just for listeners who are curious and after they check out your YouTube channel, if they haven't seen it yet, um, you have a P.O. box. And so people can send you things that you will you know, open on camera or maybe potentially feature in a video in the future. So if someone's out there and they have an Etsy shop or they make things um, and they want you to take a look at them, they think it might fit with your aesthetic, they can send you things. Yeah, I that was something that I started doing because, well, people were asking me and also because now that I'm doing a lot more sponsored videos and they're kind of expensive because they do take me a long time, I have started getting a lot of inquiries from fellow makers who, you know, wanted a platform and wanted their stuff shared places. And I totally know how that feels. And I didn't want to charge people the same amount of money I'm charging to a huge company, um, but also to find a way to do it that wasn't like so full of commitment and time for me. Um, I didn't want to go broke trying to get other people's businesses going either. Um, so that's kind of a, like a quick and easy way for me to get, you know, cool products on, under on people's eyes. And, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate what you said about your kids too. That just like, yeah, it's going to be different when he's older, but it's, you know, you still just figure out how to make it work. Um, I have actually taken him to conferences with me. Um, everybody loves him. <laughs> He does really well. He's a big ham. Um, so yeah, anytime I want to go to an event and I can't get a babysitter, he just comes along. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I did an event at, um, and by the way, we will list your PO box so people can get in oh, touch. Oh, thank you. That yeah. was one thing I was going to say, but, um, I did an event in, um, New York city after my second book came out. Oh no, it was for the first book actually. Um, and I had just had a baby like a month prior. Um, I just had a third baby. And so I took her in the sling and, um, it was, uh, like a, a make it event. Um, I forgot what it's called crafternoon on a Saturday afternoon. And, um, and there were, I think over 200 people there. And, um, I taught this class for like two and a half hours with a baby and a sling. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I had to give a speech too at the beginning and, um, and hopefully my sister came up from DC and took the baby for a little while on a little like stroller walk, um, periodically, but Aww. yeah, we make it work. Right. I mean, I think yeah. that that's, that's reality. And, um, she was adorable and she was fine and, uh, it all, you know, I, I put her in a taxi and it was all fine. Um, but yeah. yeah, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot and it's a lot of balancing. Um, but it was worth it. And I, I was glad I did it. And, um, so I'm, I was glad I didn't say no, you know, I, I made it work and I'm, I'm glad I did. Yeah. I think I was kind of worried that people wouldn't understand when I started, you know, 
I didn't go, I went a month without posting a video or when I come to an event and I have to, I have to leave, I can't sign enough autographs because my kid needs to be fed. And I think through all of that, I realized that there are way more moms in my audience than I previously thought. Just everyone gets it, you know, it's, you're not going through it alone. And I think that helped me out a lot. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's totally true. So people are, people are on your side. <laughs> they want, yeah. they want you to succeed. Most people. Um, all right. Yeah. So you have some great recommendations and I want to make sure that we get to them because they're awesome. So, um, the first one is, um, I think it's a podcast. It's called buffering, yep. buffering the vampire slayer. Yes. So I am, I am a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have been for a long time. And when I heard that there's there was going to be a podcast that came out that um, it's, you know, these awesome two women who go through every single episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, rewatch them and talk about them through a queer and feminist lens. And it is so fun to listen to. It makes me so happy to be a person in the world. And I, it, for a long time, I was, you know, not really working on my Etsy shop, not really feeling like I wanted to make like things to sell for a while. And it got me back into it because I could listen while I made stuff. And I found myself like, okay, got to turn off the TV. I have to go make things because I need to listen to the next episode of Buffering. And it's such a fun, such a fun podcast, especially if you've if you've watched Buffy before, but they also don't spoil for future episodes if you haven't seen it yet and you're watching it with them for the first time. I've been sort of fascinated by this style of podcast. My daughter, my oldest daughter, she is a huge Dungeons and Dragons fan. Like um, maybe cool. the way, yeah, maybe the way that you are with Harry Potter, she is with D&D, um, like really, really obsessed. Um, so she's really into it. And um, she listens to a variety of actually, of wi- a girl, it's I guess that they're women. I'm not actually sure how old they are um, uh, playing D&D and that's the podcast. So wow. they just play D&D and <laughs> she listens yeah. to it and she's listened to, I mean, thousands of episodes of um, of people. I mean, there's one that there's ones that are guys too, but she really likes the women um, who play. Yeah, they just play D&D. That's the podcast. <laughs> That's so, so fun. Yeah. yeah, they're really, it just goes to show you, like, you, if you feel like you're, you like things more than the people around you, just go find your people. They're online, probably just, you know, they're probably making a podcast about that thing you love. You just have to find them. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm like really obsessed with the um, business side of sewing. And so <laughs> that's why I have this podcast because that's what yeah. I really like. So there you go. Um, all right. I totally relate. So Furry Little Peach, which is, um, and I checked out these, you have two YouTube um, recommendations and I checked out both yeah. of them. So Furry Little Peach is like an artist and she has a YouTube channel. You can describe what it is she does. Yeah. So she, she's an amazing artist. I found her art first, like on Instagram and then discovered that she was doing a YouTube channel. And, um, so her YouTube channel is just these really fun video blogs in her studio. And so she'll show you the, you know, the process of working on a portrait that she's paint, that she's been commissioned to paint and she'll answer questions and she's just very creative and it's fun to watch her work and it makes me excited to make things. So, um, her, her editing is really pretty too. And her, all of her graphics design is super nice. I get really excited about branding and just seeing people's people presenting themselves through graphics and fonts and all kinds of cool things. Um, so that her channel inspires me a lot. Okay. And you also wanted to recommend, I don't know how to say her name. Is it for nerd? Oh, Fran, Fran nerd. Yeah. She's amazing. (laughs) She's another artist, but, um, she does an Etsy shop. And so a lot of her videos are, you know, she's packing up orders to send out for her Etsy shop. And a lot of her videos are about, you know, motivation and like things related to being an artist. And she answers so many questions and I learn a lot from her. Um, she, her art is really cool and, um, she's an amazing illustrator and I don't know. I like, I like seeing other creative women doing what they do best. And I love that they, there are so many that share their lives and their thoughts through YouTube. I I feel like it's such a good way to find people who are doing what you're doing and it's, and you can get ideas and learn things from them. And it's just really fun and inspiring. Yes. I subscribed to both of these, um, when I was preparing for this podcast and I just really recommend subscribing to channels on YouTube. Like when you do find a video, maybe you just did a Google search and you needed something, you know, instructions about how to do something and you 
find a really good set of instructions. Like somebody's, you know, video really is well done and answers your question perfectly. Subscribe to that channel. It takes two seconds. Just hit the subscribe button. But what will happen is next time you're on YouTube, you'll see all their videos that are new and your sort of subscribed list. And it creates basically like a little playlist for you that's personalized to you. And I just find that to be super helpful. And I started doing that maybe two or three years ago, just subscribing, making sure to hit the subscribe button. And so now YouTube's really interesting to me. And it's actually more interesting to me than watching something on TV a lot of the time, because I just know all these people who are making this exact content that I really like. Um, I can see all their updated videos and I'm going to be able to find them right away. Yeah, I love it. I love that you can just find so many people out there who are doing these things. And like we were talking about earlier, there's so much on YouTube that's not controversial. That's not shock value. It's just if you like something or you want to learn how to do something, there there is a niche for everything on YouTube. It's so big. You just have to find it. You have to know that it's out there and you have to even think of you know, what to search for if you're trying to find something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's you just got to find it and yeah, it will start to suggest things to you. Like you said, if you if you are interacting with these people and subscribing to their channels, leaving comments, it, it all that stuff gets, you know, measured and they they use it to find your people and hand them to you. It's yeah. great. And you know, it's it's pretty effective too. I mean, a lot of times they do suggest things to you that are really um, relevant to you that you do want to watch and and you can get caught in that cycle where because they it auto plays you know so as soon as you're oh yeah finished, it just <laughs> you're done for you're- the next one so you have to sort of limit yourself like I'm only gonna be on YouTube for 20 minutes but um because you can really get sucked in they're very smart in the way that they <laughs> just fall down the rabbit hole of creative yeah YouTube channels <laughs> oh that's happened to me more than one evening and just like whoa what happened to my night okay so um but but that's great so um Lauren thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Wall Street Naps podcast. I learned so much from talking with you. This is amazing. Thank you so much for having me. It makes me really happy. I've been following your content for uh, so long and you're a lot of like when I first started my Etsy shop, I looked up so many of your your video, like all, all your vlogs with about plushy design were so helpful to me. And it just means so much to me that you found my channel and you wanted me to be here. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. That means a lot to me too. So you've been listening to the Wall Street Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, WalshingApps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing and blogging and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And a big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Spoonflower. If you're a creative person who loves to design, there is nothing quite like the feeling of seeing your art printed onto fabric or better yet, seeing someone across the globe purchase it and make something amazing. Spoonflower is the first company to make it possible to digitally print custom fabric, wallpaper, and gift wrap with no minimums and no limitations of colors. Shop from thousands of indie designs or sell your own designs and earn up to 15% commission on every sale. The best part? As an independent seller, you always keep the rights to your work. Walshy Naps podcast listeners can get 15% off your next Spoonflower fabric order. Go to try.spoonflower.com slash Abby and enter your email address to receive your coupon code. Thank you so much, Spoonflower. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much. And I will see you next time.